Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hey, everybody, this is Brian Smith back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got with me a fellow Shining Light parent. Her name is Michelle Benio. And Michelle is a certified grief recovery specialist. She's a parent mentor. She's the founder of Good Grief Parenting. And that's what we're going to talk about mainly today. And Good Grief Parenting's purpose is to support parents who are raising young bereaved siblings after child loss. Her mission is to be a voice for the youngest of grievers and to help parents nurture and understand the unique needs of children who have lost a sibling in early childhood. Uh, when Michelle's six-year-old son, David, died of cancer, her daughter said, her daughter Deanna said, Mommy, half of me is gone. Deanna was just three and a half years old. And even though Michelle was teaching early childhood parenting classes and had a master's in early childhood education, she didn't know how to best help her daughter. This inspired her to become the support she had needed this inspired her to become the support she needed most during that time so that parents like her wouldn't have to work to go it alone. She spent more than 20 years learning all she can about early childhood sibling loss, its lifelong impact on the surviving sibling, and how parents can help their bereaved children grow up whole and happy. Michelle equips parents with tools to help their family heal after child loss, to foster hope, and to build resilience. Parents who work with Michelle tap into their own wisdom and gain the insights, skills, and confidence to live for- forward toward an future bright with possibilities and joy. When she's not helping parents, Michelle enjoys adventures with her daughter, dinner with friends, seeking out keto recipes to satisfy her sweet tooth, and hiking the woods and lake country of beautiful Minnesota. So with that, I'd like to welcome to Grief to Growth, Michelle Benio. Thank you, Brian. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, it's it's good to have you. And I have to say that, and I work, I was telling you before we got on the air, I work mm-hmm. with a lot of grieving parents. And one of the questions I get asked most often is, how do I handle my the surviving child? You know, mm-hmm. we a lot of times that that surviving child gets kind of overlooked. We don't know how to handle early childhood, you know, that, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it's a huge impact on that child, as, as you said in your bio, for the rest of their, of their life. So mm-hmm. tell me about about David. For, I, always want to get, I always give people a chance to talk about their kids. So mm-hmm. tell me about David and tell me about how you got started with uh, Good Grief Parenting. 
Okay. Well, I was an early childhood parent educator when I had David. I was in my mid-30s, and so I had lived a lot of good life, had a lot of good roles, and uh, learned about uh, being an early childhood parent educator when I became a mom, and he was my first child, and and that I thought that would be just a great thing to do. So I went back and, and got my license and my master's and started working with families who had young children children like mine. I had David first and then Deanna and was a parent educator working with these families when um, at the age of four and a half, David was diagnosed with cancer. And the interesting thing was that in getting my um, in getting my degree at the university, I'd, I'd encountered uh, from one of my um, professors, Ted Bowman, his uh, his information about loss of dreams for Mm -hmm. families. Mm -hmm. And it had really touched me as someone who was getting trained to work with families. And I thought, I just really want to help families um, have dreams when they've lost their dreams. And little did I know that just really less than a year later, I would be challenged with that myself. And so, um, David went through two and a half years of cancer treatment. Uh, Deanna was 15 months old when her brother was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so she went through the twos and threes. And we all know about the twos and threes. They're called the terrible twos. And she went through that phase um, when her brother was in the hospital and we were in and out of the hospital. And she was as good as gold. She toilet trained herself because I just couldn't focus on that task. Mm -hmm. And she never was a terrible two or a terrible three. Um, But it was a tough journey for all of us. And we decided early one my daughter as my as the bio indicates was really my teacher in this journey mm-hmm. not only because of what she said at three and a half but because of what she did the first night her brother was in the hospital uh, we were home alone and dad and david were in the hospital she was 15 months old and she wandered around the house just wailing just making this inhuman sound that I had never heard anyone before or since make. And she was inconsolable. I would go and try to comfort her and she'd push me away and throw herself on the ground. Mm -hmm. So at that very young age, she showed me that young children really do feel a family's trauma. They really do grieve. And we said, When we are in this journey and our son's in the hospital, there is no way that there are going to be three of us in one place and one of us home in the cul-de-sac with neighbors. So she was with us for that journey, and it was one of the best decisions I think we ever made. Um, And so when our son died and she said that to me, I, um, that was when the whole idea of good grief parenting came to me because of course we don't want that for our child. I didn't, uh, losing my son was the most devastating thing I've ever experienced, 
But the worst part of it was his little sister losing half of herself in the process and having to live the rest of her life without her brother with half of her being gone. Yeah, that's uh, it's incredible that she that connection she felt with David even yes. at, even at fifteen months. Uh, yes, yeah. And I would say, you know, she's a precocious, uh, perceptive, mm-hmm. articulate little bunny. She was from the, she, I mean, she's 25 now. That was 21 years ago that I experienced this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm in this profession. I'm in this field. If there are resources to be found, I'm going to find them. I'm going to figure out how to help her grow up whole and happy. But, you know, Brian, I I didn't find those resources. They weren't out there. We didn't have um, we didn't have the Internet resources that we have now. We didn't have many of the books that have been written now. Um, And so I realized that I would have to do this myself. And as the educator in this area of in this phase of life with young children of the early childhood age, and parents not like me, not knowing what to do with this, I knew that someday I would have to be that support that I needed. Even back then, I thought, okay, if I can't find the resources, nobody else can, and I'm going to have to provide this. What I didn't realize was that it was going to take me, uh, you know, 18, 19 years to be to feel like I could really offer this to other parents because I had to, there's so much to navigate, which I don't think most people really understand or realize there's so much to navigate to raise that child from three and a half to adulthood as a bereaved sibling and me as a bereaved parent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's uh there is so much to navigate. So how, mm-hmm. how is grief different in children than it is for adults? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. You know, uh, one of the things that I think adults, uh, I mean, once upon a time, we, and not all that long ago, we really didn't give little, really young children credit for grieving because they couldn't verbalize or, or, and most of them don't express what my daughter did. And we Mm -hmm. know that they don't understand death and some of those concepts. Um, And we don't recognize how quickly and deeply they can be attached and that just like like anybody else, they're going to feel the absence. And so we don't recognize many of the behaviors that a grieving child might do as grief, because we think that it's just age-appropriate behavior, or it's just development. And as kids get to be, um, you know, a little bit older, like three and a half, four, we're going to see them doing a lot of playing and we're not going to see them necessarily. I mean, even after my daughter said, mommy, half of me is gone. She didn't grieve the way I did. She didn't cry 
a lot. Mm -hmm. She was uh, playing by herself a lot. And if I tuned in, I could hear that she was playing. David was always there. She was sometimes singing about missing her brother, Mm. but she didn't seem like she, you know, she didn't seem to use, for lack of a better word, broken the way that I did in the way that she behaved. And often parents will say, well, my child seems to be doing well, so I think they're doing okay. And I can pretty much guarantee you that they're that they're probably not mm-hmm. inside. They're confused. They may be even scared. Deanna continued to be so good. And we would say to her, honey, you don't have to always be good. It's OK for you to be mad because she was so good. She didn't want to upset me. She didn't want to upset her dad. She just was she didn't want to rock the boat. She didn't want to cause any problems. And so children sometimes grieve by being very good, by kind of fading into the background, not wanting to rock the boat. Sometimes they may grieve by reverting to behaviors we thought we'd gotten over with them. A child may become whinier or clingier. Sometimes they become um, more boisterous and aggressive and irritable, and they end up getting disciplined because these young kids are needing to learn boundaries. And so we mistakenly believe as adults that they you know, that they're just kind of doing age appropriate behavior and we, we need to reinforce boundaries. And so, um, you know, the, or, and sometimes they may even exhibit physical behaviors. I, one parent shared with me a story of a sibling that was having, um, the uh, stomach aches and just unable to sleep. And she wondered if it was grief and she asked the pediatrician and the pediatrician said, um, well, you know, the, the sibling died six, six months ago, the child should be over it by now. And I thought, oh, what, what, a oh, how awful that the pediatrician didn't recognize that those kinds of symptoms too can be grief in this little one's body. And then it can sure. last for a long time. So their grief is very often not recognized as grief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I know that that Deanna was very young when David di- died. We, we're going to talk about the died word too. Mm-hmm. I don't use that word. Yes. <laughs> um, but Deanna was very young. Have you studied how does it affect older children like teenagers? Because I, I find a lot of parents, it's it's like we have end up with teenagers, and yes. adults that are going through it. So how yes. is that different than with younger children? Well, my area of expertise really is the early childhood age around all of the, you know, the importance of that identity piece Mm -hmm. and that development that happens in those formative years. Mm -hmm. I have, though... um, tried to read just about every book that's been written about sibling loss. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly some things that are similar. And it is that piece that a child may not be verbal about it. They may become moodier. Uh, Again, I would just encourage someone with an older child to look at their behavior. Are they starting to, you know, be more withdrawn? Are they starting to be more irritable? Are they just much more quiet? Have they lost interest in the things that they used to find interest in? Um, 
kids don't typically talk about it. And one of the keys, one of the main um, pieces of advice I would give a parent of any age, and this is hard for us as parents, is to open up and invite the conversation with the child that has had this loss. Because if we don't open up the conversation, we can't expect them to have it with us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with older kids, especially, I think we may open up the conversation and they may not want to talk about it. That can be really hard for us because we're trying to help them, but they don't seem helped. But the main thing is for them to know that they can talk to us when they're ready, not to force them to talk because mm-hmm. that doesn't help. But just being a parent that can say the loved one's name, that can share memories, that can not allow the elephant to grow in the room. Because if we don't talk about the loss, because we don't want to upset the child, we're just going to create a space that isn't safe to talk and where that elephant just gets bigger and bigger. So Uh, That, I would say, is true of a child of any age, is that they need opportunities to talk and to pay attention to their behavior that, um, that may not be typical and just let them know, share with them how you're feeling mm-hmm. so that, you know, if you don't want to ask them how they're feeling because they're not necessarily going to want to talk to you about that, you can say, this is how I'm feeling do you ever feel that way? Or, um, you know, what do you miss the most about so-and-so? Ask them some questions that maybe they can answer that will tune you into what they're feeling. So yeah, that, great. those would be some suggestions. That's good to hear because that's what mm-hmm. I've been telling people. So it's good mm-hmm. to know. Yes, telling, yeah. absolutely. My experience, my daughter was, uh, Kayla was 18 when Shana passed and mm-hmm. Shana was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 15 and a half. Yeah, so, so you know, I find it, and I find when I talk to a lot of other parents, it's the same. It's like I love what you said earlier. It's like sometimes I think we want to tell ourselves they're doing okay because they don't bring it up, and, mm-hmm. and I think it's mm-hmm. very common that the kids won't bring it up, but that doesn't mean they don't have the feelings. Sometimes they don't want to trigger us. Sometimes exactly. they're they don't, they're afraid to uh, be vulnerable. They don't want to cry in front of us. Mm-hmm. So what I've I've done with my with my daughter is just try to do it by example. You know, just yes, just keep talking about talking about Shana and expressing how I feel uh, and giving her that opportunity you know, to, to come around when she's ready. So mm-hmm. I appreciate how that. How does she seem to be responding to that? Does she talk with you or is she? Yeah, she does. She does. She's, it's been almost, uh, it's been six and a half years now. So mm-hmm. uh, she's, she's 20, she'll be 25 in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we have a really good open thing. You know, we talk about Shana, we, you know, we, we included her. So like when we were making the, the arrangements, we, we said, what do you want? What do you think Shana would want? You know, putting up pictures of Shana in the house, we asked, even though she wasn't living in the house at the time, how do you feel about this? So, we just, you know, and she, she told us like certain Perfect. things. Like she, where, you know, we were talking about, uh, we did have Shana's body cremated. And so we talked about getting an urn. She said, no, no ashes in the house. It's creepy. So we said, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. so we won't, mm-hmm. we won't put an urn in the house. So we'd let her be okay. you know, involved in that. Yeah. Oh, that's really wonderful. And that is just such a way of helping them face the grief and grow with the grief. And, you know, she will, as Deanna, Deanna's 25 now. And Mm -hmm. of course, I've seen her through 
so many ages. Yeah. Uh, you know, I saw her become her brother's age um, and how that kind of, you know, made her think about, am I going to die now? Mm-hmm. I saw her go off to school and um, and actually find some comfort in that. She asked me when she went to first grade, if David were alive, what grade would he be in? And I said, he'd be in um, fourth grade. And she Mm -hmm. said, oh, good, then he'd be in my school. And she took a lot of comfort from that. But it's like, he's he's not here. But yet, thinking that he would be in her school with her gave her some comfort. So and I've just seen her through so many um, places where those secondary losses just kind of rear their ugly heads, you know, Mm -hmm. the year that that he would have graduated from high school and some of her friends, siblings were graduating from high school Mm -hmm. and her brother wasn't there. She drew a picture of him in his cap and gown and actually made him the valedictorian of his Mm -hmm. class, you know? And so um, that's the other thing about children, whatever age they are, they're going to encounter times in their lives where the absence of their sibling is just so profound. Um, Some of David's classmates had uh, pictures of him. One of them had a Pokemon table with his picture at their graduation party. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and his cousin, my sister's daughter had a picture of him at her wedding and Deanna probably, you know, Deanna will too, I'm sure. And so, um, yes. And with your daughter too, there will be times when we'll just need to have conversations about what's how they're feeling now in this new part of their life and being able to have that foundation of conversation so that can continue when it needs to is just so important. Yeah, you know, as you're saying, I was just kind of smiling and I, and it's I think it's it's going to be so comforting to a lot of parents because one of the big fears we have when our children pass is everybody's going to forget them. Yes. And, and you know, and for David to have been, you know, 6 years old in the past 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I was I was wondering if Deanna would even remember mm-hmm. much about him. Um so she I, doesn't. Yeah, but she still includes him in her mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it really is hard for her that she doesn't have her own memories. Mm, she, okay. you know, she knows the stories, she sees the pictures, but she doesn't feel like she actually remembers him. And we live next door to a family of four uh, where one of the boys was David's age and his friend. And so those, you know, that boy next door can actually remembers David and she doesn't actually remember him. And that's very hard for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, that's, that makes it even more interesting that mm-hmm. she, that she keeps him included in, in her, her life. And, right. and, and I know as a parent, again, that's a, that's a big fear that we have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, some parents, we feel like we're going to forget our kids and, and, mm-hmm. and other people aren't going to say their names. So hearing that, that David is still part of your family and still part of your traditions. And my nephew got uh, married a couple of years ago and the kids all wore pictures of Shana, like the guys oh. under their ties and the girls yes. under the hem of their dresses. And uh, it was just, it was so comforting to us that, you know, Shane was part of that. And, and it had been, you know, f- at least four years since she had passed. Um, yes. 
Well, and that speaks to how you remembered, Shana, because sometimes, uh, and I think especially for young children, I also talk to parents who have had a stillborn child Mm -hmm. um, or have had a late-term miscarriage, and, you know, families sometimes get advice about what to do or not to do that keeps that child present. And certainly with, you said your, your daughter who died was 15. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, with a child that's had been out in the world, had friends, done things, been known, it's one thing, but even so sometimes people, um, feel like others expect them to sort of leave this person behind, you know, good old Freud's idea of grief was to close that door to end that relationship and move on. And Mm -hmm. some people still kind of um, indicate that maybe that's what we should do. But one of the other things that I think is so important for parents and families to recognize is the importance and healing impact of those, what we call continuing bonds. Are Mm -hmm. you familiar with the with the continuing bonds idea of grief. Uh, Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's so important. And I'm so glad that this has come front and center as a healthy way to grieve because it wasn't that long ago that people were discouraged from that. And so that uh, willingness to speak their name, to include, you know, to, to include them, maybe have some holiday traditions or celebrations where they are a part of it. And just to share the memories and let other people in their life, in our children's lives and our lives know that we want to keep that presence with us. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I do, I work with people that are experts in grief and uh, I work with, um, her name is Dr. Terry Dane and we've done a lot of things Mm. together Mm -hmm. and we talk about, you know, the continuing bonds thing, which at one time was considered almost kind of pathological because you were supposed to just let go. Let go, yes. move on. And this brings us around to the word we talked about before, the D word, before mm-hmm. we got on the air, uh, that I don't typically use. Um, mm-hmm. And I had, a, I had a grief uh, counselor come over the house after Shana, after Shana died. And she said, I really, I know that people are starting to heal when they can start to use that word. Mm-hmm. Because that's when they've, they've accepted the fact that this person has died. Mm-hmm. So why do you feel it's important to use that word? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. I really feel it's important for parents of young children who don't understand yet what death is. Mm -hmm. And the reason, and so for me, when I had a three and a half year old and, and I was, you know, I was teaching early childhood parent education. So I was kind of aware of this anyway, but then here I was, and I had to tell my daughter that her brother died and I could barely, you know, I choked on the word. Mm -hmm. Um, 
The reason it's so important is because it's the only word that really accurately tells a child what happened. Mm -hmm. Passed away. What does that mean? A child doesn't know what that means. And mm-hmm. it often leads, leaves them feeling like this person can come back. And sometimes adults who aren't comfortable with saying died and dead will even say one person shared with me that their that their dad told their child that grandma had gone to the moon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that seems harmless enough. And, and that seems pretty final. But the child started having ideas of becoming an astronaut so they could go to the moon and see grandma. I mean, there was no permanence in that. And so if we don't use the correct word, children are either just confused because they don't know really what happened. They don't understand what past means mm-hmm. or they um, they get the wrong idea. They think, well, if they went away or if they went to the moon, or whatever else we might say, then they can come back again. And if I just wait long enough, I can see them again. And eventually, of course, the child is going to learn the truth, and they're going to learn that person is never coming back. And that can be like losing the person all over again, because now they understand, oh, my gosh, I won't ever see this person again. And it's like, death happens at that point. Mm -hmm. So the better thing is to tell them died and then try to help start telling them what died means and use all the teachable moments we have in a child's life to teach them about grief. And I say childhood is the best time for kids to learn about grief. You know, you can talk about the plant that dies, or, you know, they might find a young bird that fell out of a nest and talk to them about the bird having died or the leaves that are green in the fall and and die. I mean, green in the spring and die in the fall. Mm -hmm. There are so many ways to teach children about life cycles and death. And so then the next question is, well, what do we tell them death is? And so we can just say the person's body stopped working Mm -hmm. and we can say, you know, they were very sick or, uh, you know, in the case of an older person, we can maybe say it differently, but we also want to be careful not to convey to the child that what happened to that person could happen to them, but just sometimes the body stops working and that's, and then they're dead and they they can't hear and they can't see they can't talk to us they can't feel um you know and we're we're going to bury them and we're not going to see them again and they can learn that and then grow into understanding what death is as they grow mm-hmm. yeah i think that's 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 really and that and it's funny mm-hmm. because wow well, when this counselor came she was talking to us and i, I guess she worked with people that had young children yeah and they would use these euphemisms and they're like oh well if they're asleep then they could wake up exactly um, so i mean that that does make sense and you know, it's interesting because when I, I still remember her saying this to I me, mean, it's been almost seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I got involved with helping parents heal, because I believe in the importance of language too. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about about a person dying is that means that they're no more. I mean, that's that's right. the typical meaning of the word dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that the body dies clearly. The body does stop functioning, mm-hmm. and this may be too advanced a concept for a three year old. I don't know where you say your body stopped functioning, but you know, you still go on. 
Um, so I'm curious because as we we're talking, I started thinking. I was thinking about watching this movie again myself. Like mm-hmm. movies like Coco. Have you seen? I, I'm mm-hmm. assuming you've probably mm-hmm. seen the movie Coco. Yeah. So how do you feel that an impact that that might have on a child? Is that a good thing or? A bad oh, thing? you know, absolutely. I mean that 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 goes with your beliefs and. Um, and I come from a Christian perspective, and I believe in that hope that we that there is an essence of our loved ones. I mean, we're not just this flesh, flesh and bone and blood. I mean, we're so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And I know what my um, what my child's dad used to say. What Deanna's dad used to say was that David's shell died, and some people refer to the body as as the shell. And you know, we did talk to her about that, mm-hmm. and we. We did say David was still with us um, and and talked about his presence. And she had a very strong um, presence and connection with him. They used to play ninjas. And when David was fighting his cancer, he would be a ninja fighting the cancer. Mm -hmm. And they played ninjas. And after he died, she had her ninja-ness. And she would say that she could see David because she had her ninjaness mm. and she could hear him talking to her. And, um, you know, I mean, I never had the impression that she thought she actually audibly heard him, but that she was living this presence. Mm. And there was one time when I was sad about David and and I was kind of crying and I said, oh, I'm so dag- sad that David's not here. And then I said, I mean, that he's not physically here to give me a hug. And she said, oh, mommy, he still hugs me. We'll get back to grief to growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book, Grief to Growth, is a best-selling, easy-to-read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, www.grief, the number two, G-R-O-W-T-H.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash grief to growth, www.patreon.com slash G-R-I-E-F, the number two, G-R-O-W-T-H to make a financial contribution. And now back to grief to growth. You know, Mm -hmm. and so she had this comfort. And then at some point, as she got a little bit older, she I remember her saying to me once that she didn't have her ninja-ness anymore. And Mm -hmm. she couldn't hear David, she couldn't talk to him anymore. Actually, I think what she first told me was he sounds different now, mommy, he -hmm. doesn't sound the same. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, she experienced him and, and I believe that we do how we do. I, I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I'm not really sure, but I believe that his presence is here. Um, I believe his presence was there for her, you know, so yes. And I do think that's important as long as that meshes with your personal beliefs, you know, but yeah. Yeah. It's not to use the word shell because uh, when I was a kid, I was terrified of death for actually for for a very long time, Mm -hmm. even as an adult. And my grandmother died when I was like, I think it was about 12 or 14. Um, yeah, I think it was about 14. And, and I, I never went to funerals, but I went to her funeral. 
And I, I walked up to the casket and I looked at her and I'm like, that's not her. It just mm-hmm. hit me. It's like, that's not my grandmother. That's, mm-hmm. that's the shell. But, you know, you know, you can look at a sleeping person and you know the person's there, right? But right. I looked at her body and it was like, that's not her. And I, mm-hmm. and I just walked away. I'm like, you know, she's God. I mean, she, she, I don't, I believe I was a Christian at the time, but I believe that you know, I believe in the soul. But I, so that's why, you know, and, and so I might, some people said, well, you're, you're in denial if you don't use the word died. And I know it makes language very awkward sometimes, right? When we say passed away or mm-hmm. uh, they transitioned or stuff like that. But I think it's, for me anyway, it's important to understand, like when I say, like earlier, I said, we had Shana's body cremated. I mean, it's mm-hmm. awkward language, but mm-hmm. we don't cremate people because people aren't in there. Um, so that's just, that's just my own, my own thing mm-hmm. about it. But mm-hmm. I, I love your, your, you know, you, with kids, I think you're right. You have to be straightforward. You've got to use the word because that is the word. And if we right. don't use the word, they're, they're going to hear it from somebody else. So right. we can say, I love you said, so they died and this is what that means. Yes. And that's going to grow with them as they right. get older, they'll understand death more and differently. And there'll be more conversations around that, you know, Mm -hmm. as they start to learn more about people's ideas of what happens when after death and all of that. I mean, those conversations will come later. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that you said, I was really interesting about Deanna and her saying, I see him, I hear him. And I don't know, again, what your beliefs are about that. But I think Young kids are still more connected to the other oh. side, and and they and so when they say I see a sibling or I hear a sibling or grandpa's here, we a lot of times we dismiss it. It's play, it's imagination. Uh, I think they see them. <laughs> oh, I do too. I do too, Brian. I I think there is this connection, and the other thing that we experienced um, that kind of goes along with that is. We used to, David and I used to raise monarch butterflies in the backyard and uh, we had some milkweed and we'd go find the little eggs and we'd, you know, raise them until they were butterflies and release them in the backyard. Mm. And he would name them like, you know, Rose and Daisy and names like that. And um, we had done this for a few years and the uh, he, my son died in May and in August of that year that he died, my sister and it was actually my my sister who had sort of gotten us on this thing of raising monarchs. She was playing with Deanna in the backyard and she called me out there and a tree in our backyard was full of monarchs. And we had never experienced that before in the years we'd let them go. I mean, we'd never had a colony of them coming in our tree. And it just so happened that I had also found a book called On the Wings of a Butterfly. Do you happen to be familiar with that book? I'm not familiar with that book. No, It's a children's book, and it's a book about a girl who got sick and was in the end died. And I, and I don't remember, I almost think maybe she did have cancer, but she had a pet caterpillar Mm -hmm. and the cat, while she was feeling sick, the caterpillar started to feel funny. And then it went into a chrysalis. And when she died, the, the monarch, and it was a monarch came out of the chrysalis. And in the back of the book, it kind of talks, the author talks about writing the book and says that the Mexicans believe that the monarchs are the souls of their loved ones. Hmm. And so 
here's this tree full of monarchs after my son died. And it happened the next year too. And then it hasn't happened since. Mm. So, and I'm sure you've heard stories like that. I have heard stories like that from people, you know, with butterflies and cardinals and, you know, other animals. So there, I, yeah, I, I believe there's a connection for sure. Yeah, well, we, we're in agreement on that. Um, so I want to talk to you about what is the good grief parenting or the good grief parenting approach? Yeah. The good grief parenting approach is the idea, the recognition that none of us want to encounter grief. Nobody likes grief. It's painful. And when we encounter it and we've got children who need to be exposed to it. It's, you know, what we, we just kind of get paralyzed as adults. What do we do? How do we talk to this child? I don't want this to be a part of their life. I don't want to make them sad. I don't want to have this big, dark cloud. And so we just really don't like grief. But the truth, and we try to avoid it. There's a lot in our culture about, um, you know, people don't, especially with child loss, but with other losses as well. People don't want to talk to a griever. They don't want to talk about, um, you know, the person who died. They want the person who's sad to cheer up and be happy and, you know, learn to enjoy life again. And we just don't want to deal with grief and we try to avoid it. And um, I've learned that grief really is something that is part of our healing, that it is a good part of our healing. It's necessary. It's a normal, natural response to loss. And our body responds in ways that it needs to and ways that help us manage the changes that we go through as a result of grief. So when I talk about good grief and it's a, it's a parenting it's a parenting approach good grief parenting is for parents who now have to um recover after losing dreams and having a young family and saying the most devastating thing possibly possible has happened to our family now how do we possibly live forward mm-hmm. and it helps them recognize uh, how to parent with from a grief informed framework that um helps kids recognize how normal and natural grief is and how we need to just, um, you know, embrace grief, allow it to do in our lives, impact us and get assimilated into our lives in the way that it has to, because we we can't get rid of it. It's not going to go anywhere. So we can make it a part of our lives that helps us to experience more compassion and just, um, walk in the world, maybe in a gentler, kinder way. Mm -hmm. And we can teach that to children and help children, help children be able to say the word dead, you know, and grow up to be adults who can talk about that and have good lives with bright possibilities in spite of having experienced something that we never wanted them or us to experience. Yeah. And, you know, and as a parent, um, you know, I, I still remember the day that, that Shana died and, you know, Kayla was coming home and, you know, I'm looking mm-hmm. at my, my eight, then 18 year old daughter. And in addition to dealing with my own grief, even worse yeah. than that was, was thinking she's going to have to go through this for the yes. rest of her life, which is 
hopefully going to be much longer than my life. Mm-hmm. And so as parents, we, we want the best for our kids and we, we want to, we don't want them to go through that. Right. Right. So, and if they're not talking about it, I can see how a parent would be very tempted to just say, I'm just going to leave well enough alone. I've got mm-hmm. to do with my own stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they seem to be doing okay. They're, they're back in school. They're not, they're not talking about, it. they're not crying. So we might use that as an excuse. Right. Just, you know, kind of check out. And I, I hear you saying, and I think it's very important. We need to help them process that mm-hmm. because otherwise mm-hmm. it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really the things that I talk about in good grief parenting, first of all, it is examining our own beliefs about grief, many of which really aren't helpful or healthy. And so I talk about good grief beliefs, which are, you know, these things that help us recognize that um, going through grief is the way that we heal. And another one of those pieces is, um, is that conversation piece, because if we can help, if we can talk with our kids and help them get comfortable with that conversation, that is going to just, that's going to just open up the whole experience of coping with grief and getting needs met and being honest with one another and getting the support you need and giving the support you need. And so, um, that inclination to shy away from it, conversation is really one of the most healing things that that we can do around grief. Talk about our experience, um, find someone who will listen. Those who try to comfort a griever, you know, need to also recognize there's absolutely nothing you can say that's mm-hmm. going to heal that grief. It's just your presence and your compassion and your willingness to listen that are going to and and not forget that are going to be so very, very helpful. The other another thing that I mention in good grief parenting is the essential messages that children need to hear, because when their world is shaken by the loss of another young person, like you say, we want our kids to live a lot longer than we do. We don't expect them to go before us. And so the child also uh, you know, the sibling that's left, the friends that are left, see their their innocence is stolen, that yeah. young people can die. Right. And so, um, and they also examine, you know, they see how the how you feel and they're wondering, where does this leave me? Uh, you know, often Deanna wondered, would they, would it have been better if I had died instead of David? Because they talk so much about David, they miss David so much. So it's also important as a parent to be sure that you are reinforcing those messages of value, those essential messages for your living child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love David, I miss him so much, but I am so glad you are here because I love you so much. And I'm glad you're still here, you know, Um, and just sharing essential messages about how you value that child, how how you know that they can handle this and other hard things that they go through, those messages that encourage them to prevail through this and let them know that we're going to prevail through this. 
Um, so that essential messages is a part of it. Continuing bonds is a part of it. I have four heartbeats and they are that, um, you know, the converse, the good grief beliefs, the continuing bonds, the essential messages, and then making the choices to live forward in healthy ways. What do we have to do if we're going to, if we're going to assimilate grief in healthy ways into our lives? What's that going to look like? What do we have to do? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of those, I call them choice actions, just being intentional about how we're going to live forward with our grief. And that's the fourth heartbeat. Yeah, that's, that's, I think it's so important because our, our kids are looking at us to kind of mm -hmm. model that for them. And I, right. and I know as a parent, when you, when you have a, when you lose a child, child dies, you know, you're going through your own thing and you're mm -hmm. wondering how you're going to make it. But I think it's really important that you always give hope to your child that you are going to make it mm -hmm. and that they can right. make it too, because it's, it's a, uh, it's such a devastating thing. And it's, it's so unfair to, to that, to that, you know, that child, you said that, that, that loss of innocence, the, yes. the knowing that this can happen. Um, and then, you know, my daughter, I remember she, it broke my heart when she said, cause similar to what Michelle said, or what uh, Deanna said, mommy, half of me is gone. Mm -hmm. She said, I never wanted to be an only child, you know, and, yes. and she, she was the older. So she always looked forward to her sister coming, you know, she, yes. she, she was three when, when Shane was born. So, you know, and they were, like twin flames. So mm -hmm. she was like, you know, this, I don't know if I can do this. You know, mm -hmm, I think that was mm -hmm. kind of her attitude. So um, I, I was going to ask you, do you work with parents and then they in turn work with children? Or do you work yes. with children directly? No, I work with parents. I, I work with them on how to parent this child. And, um, you know, and, it, and it's a lot of just good sound parenting. I, any uh, anything that I offer in my good grief parenting course and my coaching would be really good um, guidance for any parent. I mean, mm -hmm. essential messages. Every child needs those, mm -hmm. and there are any number of reasons why you know that may not be kind of front and center for parents to communicate that. And so, but yes, yeah, so I I support children. My mission really is the child, mm -hmm. but. Um, I do it by helping the parent with parenting. And the only way that I can help them with the parenting is to help them with their own grief first. So I start with that self-care piece. And, you know, the very first thing that a parent needs to do and can do to help their child is take care of the, themselves, take make, make sure they're taking care of their grief and getting the support that they need and recognizing that as much as your child needs you, your child also needs for you to take care of yourself. So so um, my focus is on parenting to help the child be healthy and happy and whole. And that means that the, the parent has to be healthy and happy and whole. Yes. Yes. I totally agree hundred percent. And that's one of the things that I, you know, I, when I'm working with clients, I tell the, my big, my big, one of my big messages is self-care, you know, because mm -hmm. so many times we, especially again, as parents, you know, and, and I work with a lot of women and especially women, I think we're, they're so used to being the caregivers and not the mm -hmm. care receiver. Uh, and the analogy I always use is put your mat, put your own mask on first, you know, <laughs> me got, too. Yeah. You've got yes. to take, you got to take care of yourself first. Mm -hmm. And I, I, your your work, I think, is so important because, again, as parents, we can be so lost, and we don't get 
great advice on Stephen how to be a parent, right? You know, I remember when right. we put Kayla in the car to bring her home from the hospital. You know, when she was born, I'm like, "Where's the Where's the owner's manual? How do we yes. you know, How do we do this?" And when this this happens, it's nice to have someone that's that's gone through it like yourself, mm-hmm. and who's who's done these studies and can say, "Okay." Here's here are the messages your your child needs to hear from you, and mm-hmm. here's how your child's grief is different from yours. Because it, it's been my observation too, children do grieve differently, which doesn't mean they don't grieve. And I think it's that yes. could be a, a a trap that we could fall into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because they are children, the way that they grieve is also going to change over the years. I mean, the way yeah. a three and a half year old grieves, and that's the challenge of. Uh, supporting a grieving child too, is that you can't just deal with their grief at the time of the loss and say, okay, we've got our handle on this because when they get to be teens and when they get to be young adults, uh, you know, and start families of their own, they're going to have, they're going to have all these different types of grief that we're going to have to help them through as well. So yeah, it's, um, it's a, a lifelong experience and journey. It is, you know, but you know, it's funny. I heard someone, it's not funny. I heard someone say the other day that, that the, the death of a child is a life sentence and mm-hmm. which is such a, it just broke my heart, such a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will ask me, well, is this grief going to last for the rest of my life? And I'm like, yes and no, it's mm-hmm. not going to be the same for the rest of your life. It will change. It will, it will grow with you and you'll grow with it. And I think you'll be a stronger, better person. But you, we also don't get over it. We don't just get right. over it and put it away. Um, so in that sense, it's it's always there. But it's not a life sentence in terms of it's a punishment. It, it can be, and I love that your term "good grief" because mm-hmm. it can be mm-hmm. an opportunity if we take it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm, you know, it sounds like your daughter Deanna is a fantastic person that's integrated this into her life and it's made her, you know, more resilient, probably more mm-hmm. compassionate, mm-hmm. you know, yes. because of, because of David's. Uh, situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, parents need people, grievers need to recognize that how you uh, move forward. I say live forward because living forward implies that you're making intentional choices to make the best of being alive. I mean, it's more than moving forward. It's living forward. Mm-hmm. And the point is that it it is all a choice and you can choose to have a happy family even after you've lost a child. It's hard mm-hmm. and it and it's not instantaneous and it's not final in that, you know, you can still have, I still have my temper tantrum moments, I say, you know, when I just want my son back, and I just don't want him to be gone. But they're short lived, and my life is good. And I do see get there, there are gifts in grief, if you can look for them and find them and be open to them. And so yeah, I that is the important thing that uh, saying that grief doesn't end. It doesn't isn't a negative thing doesn't have to be a negative thing it means that you'll assimilate it and you'll get you can get some goodness from it yeah yeah it's it's um someone had told me that you know six years ago i would have said you're crazy exactly (laughs) but uh this is the great thing about i was saying part of this organization helping parents heal and and so when i joined you know some of these people were several years out and i could see 
how they had integrated into their life and how they had mm -hmm. made it part of their story. And they take their child forward with them. I, I hate the term moving on because it implies we're leaving our child in the past. I like right. moving forward with our mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and I, and I believe that I'm going to see my, my daughter again. So that gives mm -hmm. me hope too. So yes. it's, it's just a, it's a temporary thing. You know, we, mm -hmm. we're temporarily separated for whatever reason and we can choose you know, how we deal with it. And, I, and having someone like yourself to be there to help people make these choices, is, it's so, it's such important work. It's, so, mm -hmm. it's such needed mm -hmm. work because we, as a society, we have no idea, you know, and, and, yes. I, and I, I hear all the time, aren't you over this yet? You know, and, and then there's another mother was posting on Facebook a couple of days ago that like people don't want to mention her daughter's name anymore. And, yes. And people say, well, I don't want to mention her name because it's going to make you sad. And, you know, mm -hmm. all of our friends know we talk about Shana all the time. You know, we, we want to talk about Shana. She, mm -hmm. We, we, I still feel like if I don't include Shana as part of my family, she's there going, okay, you better bring my name up. Yes. You know, yes. Still part of the family. And when Deanna was, even when Deanna was three and a half, you know, um, because that's a time that it's not only about Deanna and how young she is, but all of her peers. Mm -hmm. And when I would take her to a preschool class or a new teacher, and, and some of the teachers knew her because they knew her brother, but I would always tell a new teacher when she was young that she had a brother who died and his mm -hmm. name's David, mm -hmm. and she'll talk about David. We talk about David. And you'll talk about David with her. You know, it's like, yeah, this yeah. is this is normal. She's going to talk about him. He's part of our family. You know, just talk about him. And it's sometimes we find ourselves having to help others learn that. But when you when you were talking earlier, you know, it did strike me that the reason that people around you um, you know, that Shana is a part of your your life with people around you is because you set that standard from mm -hmm. the beginning. Mm -hmm. And we get to do that as the family. We get to do that. If someone is telling us to do something differently, we can say, you know, I appreciate you're trying to help me, but this is this is what we're doing. And and you know, we're good. We don't need, we don't need for you to tell us a different way to do it. We're good doing it the way we've chosen to do it. And I think grievers need to feel it's totally okay to tell someone what you're saying isn't helpful. I'm doing it this way, you know. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Well, Michelle, uh, tell people how they can reach you, how they can find out more about what you do. Mm -hmm. um, just all, all your contact info. Yes. Well, I, I have a good grief guide. I would just like for everyone who's listening to, to go get it because it sort of summarizes a lot of what I've talked about today. And it's uh, four simple first steps for a caring adult who wants to help a young child who's grieving. Mm -hmm. And I talk about, you know, I challenge people to look a bit at their beliefs and things that might get in the way. And I also do provide some actual um, kind of guidance. I, I always need sound bites about exactly how to have, okay, Michelle, it's great to say, talk to the child, but how do I do that? Mm -hmm. And so I, I offer some of that. So I, you can get my good grief guide at my website, which is goodgriefparenting.com. It's just goodgriefparenting.com. And on the first uh, page, right at the top, you can click a button and get that good grief guide. And 
this will be helpful for you when your child is grieving any loss that they've had and not it doesn't have to be the death of a loved one. It could be, you know, um, losing their moving and not having the bedroom that they loved anymore or their dog dying or, you know, divorce. Some of those other losses that children experience. Mm -hmm. And I hope you don't ever need it um, to help your child with the loss of a sibling or the loss of a parent or a close loved one. But if you do, you'll have it. So I would just recommend uh, going and downloading that. Mm -hmm. And you can reach me from my website. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram. I try to be active there at Good Grief Parenting. And um, yes, that's those are good ways to reach me. Awesome. Awesome. I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I think it's, it's so important. And you said something there at, at the end, and I think we should talk about that also. It's This is not just about sibling loss. I want to just emphasize yes, that. You know? yes. It could be the loss of a grandmother, you know? So yes. Sibling loss is a little, is more rare, but, you know, we're all going to have a grandparent or a dog, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, or, or, or a chameleon in my daughter's case. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. She, um, so... A gecko, shit, geckos. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, and grief can come, it comes in all forms and it, and it's going to come to all of us eventually. So all mm -hmm. these things, mm -hmm. all these techniques are good for us all to learn even before we need them. They'll mm -hmm. be even better. Mm -hmm. Yes. And those losses your child has are opportunities for them to learn skills sooner rather than later yeah. to deal with grief. And we don't want it for them, but it's use it as an opportunity to help them develop those life skills that are going to serve them so well. Yeah. Well, Michelle, yeah. thanks. Thanks for being here. It's been great meeting you. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity. And I also just really appreciate um, the work that you're doing, supporting parents. And there just can't be enough of us out there doing that. Yeah, so yeah. thank you so much. And thanks for um, inviting me to talk with you today. It was, it was a wonderful conversation. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and Grief to Growth, visit www.grief2growth.com. Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.